Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sirpos Podcast. This is Maria and Evan. We are back again with a very special episode that uh, will be airing off of our normal air schedule. So this is an important episode with a special guest. And without further ado, I will let you take it away and introduce yourself. Well, I'm very honored, first of all, to be a special guest. Uh, I'm Yvonne Hunt. I am in Seattle and wishing that I were in Ceres, but I'm not. Uh, but uh, as you know, and, and uh, you have contacted me because of it, I have done a lot of research of Greek dancing and Greek customs and still teaching and still um, researching. Uh, quite frankly, it never ends. And uh, I would hope to have been in Ceres at this time, as I usually am going from village to village, looking out and participating in all those marvelous uh, apocryatica customs that um, happen at this time of the year, but which are not happening in most places this year. And I hope they, exactly, I hope they are not happening so people will stay safe, stay home and stay safe. So that's where I would usually be at this time. I would also usually be teaching um, more dance classes than I am. I am currently only teaching one with very few students that have been with me for a very long time and teaching language classes on Skype. That sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you on with us. Thank you. Um, so uh, we always want to start um, at the beginning. Um, so. I know I'm very curious, and I'm sure many people are curious. Um, we'd like to know how you got started in Greek dance. We, we'd like to know what your exposure was and how you developed this passion for the Greek culture, language, dance, and and how did that develop um, in your life? Well, Evan, to be quite honest, uh, my real interest was in Romanian dance. It was not in Greek dance. Okay. Uh, however, at that time, Romania was a closed country to Americans, and I would have loved to have gone there and researched, but the State Department frankly said, uh, you can go, but if you have a problem, don't call us. <laughs> so, uh, and fortunately for me, being in Seattle, uh, we are a port city. And at that time, we're talking about in the 70s, and at that time, we even had two bazookia here in town. And every sailor that ever got off a ship in Seattle knew where they were <laughs> and headed directly to them. Uh, we have a large enough Greek community. Even now, of course, it has expanded. But even then, there were two uh, Greek Orthodox churches, not necessarily because they were needed. But you guys understand this because they argued and split. So uh, mm -hmm. that's why we had two. Uh, and as I said, there were at least, by the time I got into uh, the Greek community, there were still two bazookia left, whereas I understand there had been three before that. So uh, for me, the great thing was that I could go and watch people do their own dances. Mm -hmm. And especially, even though I couldn't speak Greek at that time, nor could I understand it, I would see these young men who were obviously the, uh, the sailors, they would go up to the musicians who we were fortunate to have musicians who were Greeks. And I mean, Greeks from Greece. And they would go up to the musicians and ask for things. And I would see the musicians just shrug their shoulders and say they had no idea what they were asking for or they couldn't play what they were asking for. 
which really was rather mysterious to me. I thought, wait a minute, these are Greeks asking Greeks. And at that time, my knowledge of the incredible dance repertoire was just four or five dances. That's what they all did. Sirto, Kalamatiano, Mosaposervikos, Insamikos, and once in a while, Appendozali. So that was about the whole repertoire as far as I knew. So I was very surprised to see these guys keep going up and asking the musicians. Once in a while, they'd hit on something and play it. But then I would have to ask the owners of the um, establishments to please ask that young man or those young men what it was they wanted that the Greeks did not know how to play. And I began to realize that, hey, this guy's from Rhodes. They don't know how to play what he wants. Hey, this guy's from Thrace. They don't know how to play what he wants. This guy's from somewhere else. I began to realize that there was a great deal more to Greek dance than five dances. And so I decided I needed to go learn them. (laughs) (laughs) So I contacted, of all people, I contacted uh, Laura Stratu. And she actually even responded to me. And I also contacted the Hikueli Nidon in Athens and uh, the director then, uh, and he's still kind of director emeritus, Lefteris uh, Grandaikis welcomed me with open arms. I can't say that Strathu welcomed me with open arms, but that did <laughs> allow me to come. And uh, it was the beginning of opening my eyes to the fact that there were great many more dances than what we were aware of here. And um, so I and, and I discovered the um, Kendra, and then we had marvelous Kendra. There was on the Aka Kendra, there were Kritika Kendra. There were all these other. Doitsidis had a marvelous Thracian Kendra. So these were the opportunities for me to dance with the people of those regions, even though I couldn't necessarily get into the region, but I could see what the people were doing. And I could also compare that to what performance groups were doing. So that was a real beginning. That was the absolute beginning for me. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's it's such a unique, I mean, I wouldn't say unique story because I'm sure um, other people, you know, were very limited in what they knew of Greek dance. And then there's that aha moment that like, oh, wow, there, there's so much out there. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so... With your first exposure, um, did you travel to Greece and see this for the first time? Or was it stuff that you were exposed to here in America? That, no, I mean, what I, I was exposed to here in America uh, prompted me to go to Greece. Okay. Uh, and uh, so I went for a month in 1975. Mm-hmm. And uh, all that did was tell me I needed to go back. <laughs> so uh, I went for another month in 78. And what that told me was that I needed to live there for a year to learn all those dances. Oh, wow. yeah. Now, talk about being naive. I could live there for a year and learn all those dances. Right. right? <laughs> well, <laughs> people keep asking me, why are you still working up in Paris? Uh, why, why don't you go to other places? I honestly thought in my days of complete naivete that I would research in uh Stadis prefecture, then I would go to the Kyrgyz prefecture, I would go to the Thessaloniki, I would hit every prefecture in the country and research, right? I can't get out of Stadis. What and is Stadis, it about Stadis? Yeah, well, Stadis was basically an unknown 
dance region to a lot of people at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember someone whose name will uh, not be mentioned because you may know that person. Uh, when I had uh, presented something at um, uh, kind of a congress in uh, in Greece, uh, that person uh, simply said, "Oh, we know what Yvonne does. That you know that, so we can go have a coffee." What? They were astounded at what I then presented, and hmm. they uh, were trying to get all the information then from my colleague because they had no idea of no idea of any sort about what I had just presented. So, you know, um, it has been, there have been times when uh, things might not be going too well, then I say, okay, God, why me? Yeah. And there are other times when I say, thank you, God. That's amazing. And, you know, I feel like when you were talking about Seattle in the 70s, I had this image in my head. Yeah. Um, and thinking about it, it's it's like I wonder if what I what I started to think about was if you hadn't done that, like if you hadn't sort of tried to reach out to people and, and you know, kind of ignite that fire, I wonder how the trajectory of dance could have been impacted. And we talk about that a lot, um, Evan and I do sort of like, you know, the people now who are very invested in dance are continuing to pour themselves into it because they want to bring the authenticity and the realness and, you know, bring as much information as they can. Um, but when you were telling that story, I was like, Oh my gosh, if this wouldn't have happened, how different could dance? I mean, we will never know. Right. But you can imagine how different maybe the dance scene, if you will, in Seattle would have been right. Because well, not only Seattle, but, um, a lot of other places too. Um, Mm -hmm. The fortunate thing, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the fortunate thing for me is I didn't, number one, have any preconceived ideas. Mm -hmm. Number two, uh, I'm not prejudiced. So if I'm going into a village where it is a Rome village, it doesn't matter to me. They're human beings, they're people, um, they're fantastic people. Uh, Whereas even one of the uh, quote, researchers, unquote, in the status uh, area uh, associated with the Gymnastic Academy, uh, told me that he had ignored that village all those years because he figured, well, this is a, they're in a very derogatory manner, he said, well, they're gypsies, they can't know anything. So that's the kind of stupidity that uh, Greeks, unfortunately, have been raised with. Mm-hmm. And um, um, it left the door wide open for me because I didn't have those prejudices. Mm-hmm. So I didn't care if somebody was darker than somebody else. I didn't care if they had a second language other than Greek. It didn't matter to me. And so that that opened a lot of doors for me that other people could have opened, but their prejudices wouldn't allow them to do so. Yeah, yeah. It's so, go ahead, Ev. That's a powerful statement. We actually with our kids today in dance, we had a, we had a moment where somebody questioned why we would be, you know, talking about dances that aren't even Greek. And I said, well, you, you can't, I mean, that's a very naive statement because what are the Greek borders? I mean, where you have so many influences over the years that, you know, the lines were Macedonia, Thraki and Ipiros and Bondos and Cappadocia, all of those lines are blurred because 
exactly where their hometowns were. It's not it's not the same anymore. So maybe they don't speak the same language. Maybe they their customs mimic customs of Turkey or other cultures outside of Greece. But it doesn't change the fact that our you know the heritage is there and the cultures right. are there, and it's important that we know and we honor and i mean because that struggle that those regions have gone through to me is all the more reason why we should know it absolutely absolutely and you know uh i've seen people who are considered researchers they'll come into let's say one of the villages i've been researching for the last hundred years they'll come in with their video camera and they'll do this and they say they have researched in that village no they haven't they've taken a film in that village uh, one who is a very well-known, again, dance teacher there, whose name I will not say, uh, arrived there with the group that I was with one time, uh, this while I was still living in Greece. And uh, he decided uh, that he was going to do all this uh, sort of researching, which he'd never been there. He knew nothing except what I had previously presented. And so he sent one of his students, because he taught at the gymnastic academy, and he sent one of his students to go talk to a particular man. Well, that's fine, but the man who was totally, um, either he actually was not from that village, which I have a feeling he was not, maybe from a neighboring village, or he just really didn't know anything about the, the traditions because he gave them absolutely incorrect information. Oh, interesting. And uh, of course, this man then sent one of his students to um, film, him, to film him because he like most of us who dance a lot we can pick up dances very easily right yeah. so he got in line and he had learned some of the dances from me at seminars anyway got in line and told his students film me between these men and uh of course he did not even choose the best men to dance with but that's because he does not know the people he does not know the traditions he does not know who is considered a good dancer you know what you and i look at somebody we say wow what a fantastic dancer that not be that may not be the way the people in that village look at that person. Yeah, they may think, "Oh God, he's showing off again," you know. Yeah. And then if you ask them, "Who are the best dancers in your village?" They might give you totally different names than what the this appearance may be in the square. Let's say. Yeah. So, as a researcher, you know you have to be really careful and you have to be the best thing you, the best thing any researcher can have is an open mind and if you go in someplace with preconceived ideas about what they do or know or say or dance then you've lost from the beginning yeah i agree we were, yeah we were speaking with somebody who was telling us that they they find that the best way to get quality information is to talk to the musicians because the musicians know they know the music they know the dances that go to it and they know all the dancers on the dance floor um uh, sometimes really evan sometimes that works really well other times it does not you, you <laughs> never know unless you get into a into the rhythm of the village and this only comes with years let me tell you you don't know that unless let's say i go into village x and I asked the lead musician, hey, who's the best dancer here? And he tells me, Joe Blow. Mm -hmm. Well, it might not be the best dancer, but he is in a, a, an argument or a family fight with somebody else who really might be the best dancer. 
and he's not going to say his name because he's on the outs with him. Yeah, that makes complete yeah. sense. Very yeah. Greek, my friend. This is very <laughs> Greek. Stubborn Greeks. That's what we're, we're, we're good at that, right? Eight <laughs> uh, plus. Yvonne, how many years did you end up um, living in Greece? Were you only there for like a year formally? No, no, I lived long? there consecutively for 14 years. Wow. wow. Why am I saying <laughs> No, no, I lived consecutively for four, 14 years. The first seven of those years, I was the assistant to Simon Karas at the Center for, uh, at the uh, Society for the Dissemination of National Music. Wow. And uh, the last seven years, the second seven years, I uh, supported myself by teaching Greek dances, both to Greeks and uh, in other places in Europe. Wow. Incredible. I know. I'm so like in awe. I think that's amazing. I think (laughs) you've done sort of, you've executed what I think a lot of us feel sometimes is like this pull. And, you know, it's very hard to articulate that to people who don't aren't as absorbed in the Greek folk dance world that there's this inextricable pull to, you know, to go to Greece and just to live there and and to try to absorb as much as you can, because, you know, you're right. The authenticity is you have to, um, you have to gain a level of trust, um, you know, wherever you are for people to trust you when you're trying to learn, um, you know, and in anything, it's not just in, in Greek dance, in my opinion. Um, uh, and aside, I, I lived in Spain for a little bit and um, we learned flamenco dancing, but specifically from southern Spain. Oh, wow. um, and a few of us met up with like a few families that had gypsy background. They are. Flamenco comes from the gypsies. Exactly. And for a while, they were kind of hesitant to like teach us extra because they were like, what are these people doing? Like, you That's know. Right. But once you kind of get your street cred and they sort of see that like it's truly because you want to learn. Right. the culture and, and learn it from the best, it just flows. And it's such a magical, cool experience. Like it's yeah, that's that great. Can, that's yeah. Great. So oh, this is making me want to like quit my job and <laughs> move to Greece. Well, you see, that's basically what I did. And I really had planned to only go, I, I was taking the position of somebody else at the Society for the Dissemination of National Music. You may know the name of the person whose position I took, Mary Voris. I took Mary Voris's position because she was uh, coming to the States, uh, actually for health reasons, um, and it, she was only to be gone for a year. So um, uh, when the, the, the end of that year was drawing to a close, uh, Mr. Karas said to me, he said, well, find out for Mary when she's coming back. Well, we couldn't get any information from her. Uh, and as it turned out, she had planned to stay, and I think she uh, did some teaching at Harvard for a while. But she wasn't letting us know that her plans were changing. Anyway, as it turns out, then I stayed on in that position uh, six more years. I was there seven years. And then I just stayed on because I was already teaching uh, several different classes um, around um, Athens and teaching seminars for foreigners in the summer. So. Uh, I was already settled into teaching at that time. That's amazing. That's amazing. And actually, I, I came home. I always knew I would come home. People said, oh, you're never going to move back. You're never going to move back. And I said, yes, I will. But it got to the point where the European Union was not being very friendly to those of us who were not from European uh, Union states. 
So uh, in uh, 1993, yeah, it was the wisest thing for me to move back. Okay. What I did not know, and I wish I did, and I wish they would do it for me retroactively, what I did not know was that um, I could have taken Greek citizenship uh, simply because I lived there consecutively for more than five years. When I first asked about that with um, the American Embassy early on, 1980, 81, they said, no, if you take that citizenship, because I'm not of Greek descent, if you take Greek citizenship, you lose your American citizenship. And I, well, there was no way I wanted to lose that. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the way, the laws changed, but I was unaware of it, never asked again, and I only found out after I moved back to the States that I could have gotten it. And I um, asked the new, uh, <laughs> the new, um, oh, what do we call them? I don't know, ambassador to Greece. Um, mm-hmm. I sent her a letter welcoming her, told her the story, and said, is there a possibility that we could do this retroactively? Well, she brushed me off and told me to talk to them at the San Francisco uh, consulate. Well, I know from all the Greeks, the San Francisco consulate is a headache for everyone. Right. So they're certainly not going to talk to me being of not being of Greek descent at all. So, yeah, anyway. It's that red tape. Even I feel like when people have all the papers in order for that, it still sometimes can take Absolutely. like years Absolutely. just because you didn't get to the right person, at, you know, in line at the consulate, uh-huh. wherever you are, <laughs> you know. Yep, it, it's a, it's not an easy thing one way or another, but um, yeah. 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 Anyway, that's why I'm living here, and I try to go there a couple of times a year. Um, you know, um, usually I would be there right now. I can even tell you the villages I would be in right now. I can even tell you what I would be doing right now. But yeah, let's well, talk a little bit about that. With you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious because, I mean, uh, I know, um, I, I actually, I know I have a number of your videos about the dances of Cetus, but um, one thing that always comes up when, whenever, whenever anybody's talking about Yvonne Hunt is, you know, the dance, the, the dances of Apocrias and how it's celebrated and how vibrant those traditions are. Um, and I know we are, we just passed that season where Apocrias would be celebrated. Um, oh, today, today. Today's the right. day. Yeah, right now, let's see what time it is. We're just finishing uh, Sunday in Greece and going into clean Monday. Okay, so this would would be the moment. (laughs) Absolutely. Let me tell you what I would be doing. We we want to know. <laughs> this is what I know we want to hear. I would be in. I know who the musicians would be. I know what would be on the table. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I love it. Tell us everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would be in Flamboro at this moment. Okay. Yes, I'm... because they they would have finished playing in the square, and everybody would have gone to different tavernas and. Um, uh, I would have gone to the Severn I always go to because it's with the musicians. And uh, so, yeah. And th- then you just never really know. I mean, I have spent, there have been times when I have said, well, like, I can die and go to heaven now because it's never going to get better than this. And then maybe sometime it does get better than that. And you still feel that it can't get better than this, but it may. Gosh, what a feeling. I don't know yeah. if I've ever felt that in my life. Ev, have you? I felt it to that extent. I mean, yeah. I'm curious, 
what what was your first time um seeing the the celebrations of Apocryas? What how did you react to that? Ah, uh, well, let me think. When did I first see them? The I knew of some some sort of celebration, not very much. I knew of that across the border in Bulgaria. But uh, I I knew of um, I knew of the Yenitsari and Bulus in Naosa. Uh, and that was the first one of that type of, uh, of um, celebration I ever went to. I was there in 1981. And uh, uh, and I still try to get there at least for a day every time I'm in Greece at this time. And uh, all those musicians I have known from God knows when. I mean, those that are the uh, adult musicians now. I knew them when they were children. Wow. Uh, so... <laughs> uh, Anyway, um, yeah, so that was my first, I knew about the, the Yenitsari and the Bulis, and I really wanted to go there. So I did in 1981. That was the first time. I'm trying to think. I know when I met Tarakostas in 1980, when he was playing for, um, he was playing in Aia Leni for the um, uh, Anastenaria, uh, not for the actual uh walking or dancing on the coals because that's done with the lira but for the athletic events because it's a paniyiri right mm-hmm. so they have the traditional athletic events and uh i was in ayeleni because of the um uh, events that they do and uh i was at the home of one musician i was at the home of nikos trikos who was a lira player And at one point he said, uh, oh, come on, we need to go to square to the square. The musicians have come. I had no idea what that meant. We went to the square and guess who was there? <laughs> Christos Karakostas and others from Flamboro. And they were playing uh, Zuna. Mm-hmm. And if you have my first book, Traditional Dance in Greek Culture, there is a photograph in there of Christos playing and me dancing which was our very first uh, meeting. And uh, I was just astounded with this music. I was just blown away with this music. And he was blown away with the fact that an American woman could do their dances. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and uh, that was on the first day of the Paniyiri. And when uh, I knew nothing about them, I just, they were wonderful musicians. I knew they were Rome. I could look at them and know they were Rome. That was not difficult, it didn't bother me. The second day when I went back to the Baniyiri, they were not there. And I asked the people, I knew, where are these marvelous musicians that were here yesterday? Uh, they, they don't come today. I said, okay, where are they from now? <laughs> This is so big. Uh, we don't know, somewhere around here. They knew exactly what village they came from. They had to call them every time and tell them to come, right? right. <laughs> But that was the answer I got. Oh, they're somewhere around here. And actually, it was two years later, in Sohoch, in, uh, uh, that I was there for their carnival celebrations and going on full blast right this minute, if, if it were a typical year. And um, in the evening, I said with the friends that I was with, we said, oh, we need to go find somewhere to eat. But the strange thing is, is at noon, when we ate somewhere at noon, not knowing anyone or anything, I said to my friends, There was a man sitting in the taverna having his lunch too. And I said to my friends, I said, I'm a musician. 
How do you know that? I don't know, but he is. He's a musician. Well, he is. I, I mean, uh, I, he's a friend now, Christos Meros from uh, Flamboro. But I did not, I had never seen the man before, but I knew he was a musician. And then at night, after we'd wandered around the village all day long and decided it was time to get something to eat, um, we heard music coming from one to run. Said, okay, that's where we're going. We're going where they have music. And I walked in, and guess who's playing Zernan? Clara Costas. And he looked at me, he recognized me immediately, and he said, What's up with all? I just looked at him and I said, Yes, he puts up with all. And we and I, then I told him what I was doing, what I was interested in doing, not doing very much of it at that time, but interested in learning the dances and the traditions. And he simply told me, he says, You want tradition? He says, you come to our village. And he was 110% correct. Wow. And that's how my friendship with Caracostas began. And that's how my uh, association with the village. I didn't actually get into the village until several years later. But uh, that's, uh, and by the time I did get into the village, I had already made contact with the Flamboriotis living in, um, in Egalio in Athens. And so I already had contact with them. And that was done through, of all people, Cariophilis uh, <laughs> Zoitsidis. Are you familiar with that name? Sounds familiar. Ration, absolutely one of the greatest. And he and his daughters, uh, uh, great Ration music. And they had a kendro in um, Calithea in Athens. And uh, um, I see this. Uh, called me one day and he said um, it was a Saturday which I usually went there every Saturday night he said Yvonne I don't know whether or not you plan to come to the Kendro tonight but I think there's going to be something that you would really be interested in and I said well of course I had planned to be there and what it was were uh, apparently several of the Flamboriotis living in Athens had gone somewhere to perform their dances and they loved Doetsizis. And so they were at his Kendro afterwards and they started doing their dances. And uh, this was just another, you know, there are times when, as I said, I couldn't go to Romania, but so the doors were shut and I had to do this. There are times when it just seems that it was meant to be. And that's what it was. I mean, and there I met uh, other Lamuriotis. I uh, met the president of their cultural society in Athens. And he said, oh, you have to come to the village. He said, you'll come and stay at our house. And I did. I went the next uh, summer and stayed a, a week or so at their house. I mean, uh, really, it's just, it, it was one big snowball, really. That's so amazing. All from basically that first trip, right? That that first step carried you through and, and you know. Yeah. And, and you never know when you set out to do them. I mean, uh, honestly, guys, I had no idea, no intention, no anything. I was going to go for a year and learn all the Greek dances, right? Right. <laughs> yep. I love that. I love that. You know. Never know. Yeah, sorry. You have an open mind, an open mind, and you just don't know how many wonderful things that you will then see and do. Yeah. It, with everything that you've learned and experienced, do you still feel like there's more out there in Sedes, Macedonia, that it, it hasn't even been touched yet? 
Evan, let me tell you, <laughs> every time I go, I learn something new. Yeah. I do. Um, I mean, you know, and there may be, well, now it's getting more and more difficult simply because the older generation has died or is dying off. Mm-hmm. And so many of these traditions, um, they're lost with them. The one there was a wonderful man, Dimitris, uh, in um, Flamborough. Wonderful, wonderful man, and he uh, he really appreciated what I was doing for the village. And um, he would he told me one time he, he mentioned the name of a dance, and he said, "Yvonne, we used to do this wonderful dance," and he said, "Nobody knows it anymore." And I said, "Can you do it?" He said, no, first of all, we don't have the music anymore. And he said, uh, and it uh, requires some movements that, and he was uh, probably in his 70s at that time. Uh, and he said, requires movements that I can no longer do. And um, I'm trying to remember if it was the, I think he said it was the, uh, I want to say, uh, you have to understand that many of the dance names are really in Turkish because mm-hmm. that's what they were told to do. Dokus yeah. uh, I think that's the one it was, but and a couple of others that he um, knew that they had done in the past but were no longer done. And I remember going to him one time with another name that I had um, heard in another village. And I said, did you guys happen to ever do this? And he said, uh, yeah, he said, but um, nobody remembers it now. I also remember one time when Karakostas and I were going from his village to uh, the village of Akinos, which I had done some research there. And in the um, uh, little taverna that was there, my phone's ringing, but it will just have to ring. Uh, in the taverna that was there, there was a photograph. Okay, well, we don't care who it's on. There was a, a photograph there uh, above the bar that was a lot of men and three uh, musicians. Do not see this, Daulatis. And I thought, wow, I wonder, those have to be Flamboriotes. And I think that, uh, I, it's in my book somewhere, but I don't remember the exact date, but it was from 1900 something. And I had mentioned it to Caracostas. And he said, okay, let's go take a look at it. And when we got there, he took one look at it. He says, oh my God, I think that's my grandfather. So, you know, these are things that Joe Blow coming into the village, pointing his camera, he's never going to experience these things. Joe Blow sitting in front of the uh, computer, looking at something on, um, on YouTube, saying that, I, oh, I know this dance now. He's never going to experience these things. You only experience these things um, epitopal, you understand that, I'm sure, on, right there. And you only experience these things when people know you and trust you. Mm-hmm. And that does not happen overnight. Yeah. Especially, probably more so, you know, nowadays in in a strange way because it's so easy it's so much easier just to travel and to kind of show up in a place right um but you know it's harder to build those relationships i think um yes 
it's easier in the sense that you can have uh, more more easily you can have contact with people uh, just as we're doing now. I mean, you know, yeah. um, or let's say uh, somebody wanted to go to, um, I don't know, whatever, Village X, and they know that there's uh, this musician or dancer in Village X. Today you can get almost anyone's phone number eventually. You know, you ask so-and-so who asks so-and-so who asks so-and-so and you get there or you can contact them on the internet. And um, so that the initial contact can happen more easily, but it does not mean that it has um, the depth to it that comes over um, seeing these same people year after year. Uh, I mean, God, of course, his younger son, I just sent him uh, a photograph yesterday that I had taken of him one year when he was dressed as a woman for uh, Apocryas. And he just said, now to him, I am Thea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's how they look at me. And he just sent me <laughs> an email this morning. Oh, yeah, you know, it, these are the kinds of relationships that at least to me are more meaningful than me just going in and pointing my uh, camera and coming back and saying, this is Dance X. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. It's like a family experience. It, it is, that. yeah. Yeah. Well, you 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 are you're basically becoming a part of the traditions and the culture, versus being on the outside with the you know, the outside looking in and just the, from the audience standpoint, it certainly changes your perspective completely. You know that's that's very true what you just said, Evan. But it has its good points and its bad points because then am I altering the culture? I don't want to, but am I? Just yeah. By my presence. You know, it, it's it's a fine line, and you just don't know when you've crossed it one way or the other. Yeah, that's <laughs> the very deep uh, deep notion there. It's it's funny because I get into this debate with my children quite often about you know when we talk about authenticity and dance, and we talk about you know understanding the traditions, and it's there's so many ways that we can see the tradition and we're all, if we're only looking at it in a, a snapshot of time, you know, from right. a video that captures this one dance by these people in this village on this day, we could be missing a whole big part of it. So, you, you know, when you're just on the outside looking in, you, you don't really have the opportunity to just see how those traditions kind of develop over time and, and how, you know, this person may celebrate this dance this way, but these people and this family does it this way and this family does it that way. And these slight little differences, you know, it doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong. It just means that every dance is kind of a very living organism that it does take different shapes and people have shaped it and formed it over the years. So that's exactly I mean. right. And, and from dancer to dancer, it's uh, a little bit different. Uh, again, going back to Flamborough, one of my dearest friends from there uh, has uh, an, a superb dancer, absolutely superb dancer. In fact, everyone in his family, they're really marvelous dancers. And um, he has for several years taught their uh, their group at the at their own Silagos in uh, Athens. And so everyone is dancing this exactly the way he does it which is not the way the majority of the people in the village dances. That's his style. 
And uh, so, but and yet, when you see other performing groups now that uh, have seen the group from uh, from Athens do it, then they are now all teaching it this way, which is not basically, by and large, what is done in the village. So you know, we as dance teachers, uh, we need to be a little bit careful with what we're doing, and that's why, you know, when I see only one person from whatever region or village or then I think, okay, that's the way so-and-so dances. Now, I'd really like to know how everybody else uh, in his family or her family or in the village, you know, because uh, we as dance teachers, we tend to select the person we think is the best example of that, and that's what we teach. And uh, we have to be careful. It's Yeah, it, there's a huge responsibility there that you can't really, you can't underestimate how important it is to capture the whole story and not just, you know, one small chapter. Exactly. And you know what, as we're talking, I remembered the name of that dance. Uh, it was not uh, whatever I told you. It said the dance that the older man was trying to remember. Dokuz Havasi. Dokuz Havasi um, was what I said to you. But, and now where did it go again? Dort Beguri. Dort Beguri was the name that he was uh, trying to come up with, which simply meant uh, four horses and uh, in Turkish. And uh, he could not for the life of him remember it. But other, I did have other older people in the village also recognize that name. And huh. interestingly enough, some of these dance names, you will still find people doing dances with these names, whether they were the same steps or not, nobody knows, but there are still being done in Turkey in uh, villages. I'm not, I'm not talking about Istanbul, and they've got the same problem with all the performing groups that Greece has and everybody else has. But if you get away from that and work with the people in the villages, you see some marvelous dancing. And I've seen some films of men doing both Dokus uh, Havasi uh, and Dortbegiri. Now, one thing I do know that the one um, the man described it to me as a men's dance, and I've only seen it as a men's dance in Turkey, and that the men are in two lines facing each other, and I've seen that, and that it is in a 9-8 rhythm, and that's what I have seen. So, you know, it may or may not be the same. We'll never know. Yeah. It's almost like an archaeological dig whenever You're you absolutely start. absolutely right, Maria. You know, like you kind of have to put pieces together and then there's always going to be some parts that are sort of missing, but I'm sure in your research, like you're such an expert that if something sticks out like a sore thumb, it probably doesn't belong there. Um, or at least you, at least you pursue it mm -hmm. to say, okay, why? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why is this part so different than every, everything else that I think goes together, you know? Exactly. Um, Exactly. And an open mind is the absolute best thing any researcher can have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about even totally something that is not Greek dance related, like science, right? anything, you come up with a question that you try to answer, but you can't pull yourself off or else you're never going to find the answer. You're going to right. be spinning exactly. in circles. Um, so an open mind is one of the best things that any of us can uh, be blessed with. Yeah. Yeah. I think we saw um, that today with our our kids at dance. Yeah. I think we we cracked that closed. They inadvertently had that door shut, right? Um, right. And we sort of pushed it open, and then they were like, Good. "Oh, 
wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see uh, um, the, the uh, competition, both on the East Coast and the West Coast. And while those have some really great, wonderful um, aspects to them, um, they are also sort of categorizing a lot of things that um, I, I think they're missing some very valid, uh, valuable points from time to time. But, you know, with everything, there's good, there's bad, there's in between. You, you just don't know. Yeah, we, we talked a good amount on competition yesterday um, and we were, we were going through the pros and cons of it. And, you know, competition has pushed people and driven the conversation to seek out more authenticity in the dance. Yes. But with that also becomes inherent challenges and struggles, because as you as you pursue that authenticity more and more, you have to be careful not to fall into those traps and you know, go down the wrong path. And then all of a sudden you're pushing this storyline that is veering further and further away from the truth. So um, yeah. there, I mean, it's that same importance that is on all of this, that, you know, we're, we're not just, you know, a dance club. This is, this is a living, this is living history. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's great that there are all of, <coughs> excuse me, there, there are all of these groups. Um, and and the the hope is that they would be seeing it as uh, not just a dance competition. And I have to learn X number of dances in this suite, uh, which I have encountered. I have encountered. In fact, when I was directing some of the groups here in in Seattle, some of those kids absolutely hated me because I would walk in and say, "Okay, what's the name of the dance?" that we're doing um, and they had never had to know the names it was for day one and day two mm -hmm. and uh, they would be very upset with me when I would say to them there is no day one village and there is no day two village <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean they would be very upset with me um, and then when I would insist that they learn the names of the dances uh, because they had never been asked to do that before so I think that other than just teaching a suite of dances, I think that, that hopefully that, you know, all of these play, uh, groups will delve more into the history uh, of the, at least the area. Uh, we don't know the history of dances. Rarely do we know the history of dance. We can't say this dance began on such and such a date. Um, but we, we can at least impart some history of the area, of the village, of the traditions that we're presenting rather than just, okay, do this step and that step. Yeah. So, I mean, as we talk about these traditions and holding, you know, making sure that we're passing down the traditions and we're, we're learning the traditions and we're uncovering all of these details to make sure that they don't, they don't die off with the generations. Um, I mean, to me, that just, you know, it, it seems like such a daunting task and such a, like an immense weight um, of making sure that this these beautiful traditions don't fall away. Um, I'm curious, you know, how how you handle that and how you um, what you see as like the best opportunities for us to make sure that we're not losing those traditions. Well, first of all, it has to begin in the village itself. Yeah. That's where it has to begin. Um, I feel blessed that I've been allowed to work on some of this and to help 
in a few instances. For instance, I'll give you an example. When I was uh, researching in the village of um, Skotusa, which is also in the Ceres region, and I had been working with them for a while. And uh, at one point I said to the guys who were the head of their cultural society, I said, you know what we need to do? We need to bring musicians and uh, tell the older people in the village, we're gonna pay for the musicians, you come and dance. We'll play anything you want to dance, just come and dance. Well, not very many came, but there were maybe 12, 15. And uh, they were having a great time. We paid for the uh, musicians to come from Iraqia and uh, play for them. And we, they would just say to the people, okay, what do you want to dance now? And uh, at one point, and the oldest, the oldest participant then was 92 years old. Oh my and he goodness. was still dancing. He was still dancing. And by the way, I have all of this on film. And uh, oh. so he was still dancing. So when they decided to play Baiduska, out of um, out of deference to the man's age and respect for him, they put him in front. Okay, fine. The musicians began. Um, the the dancers were going one, in one direction, and the older man was going in another direction. And I mean, if you, I don't know if your camera is even seeing me, but they were going, you know, like this, two different directions. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, everybody just assumed the old man had forgotten, right? So. Uh, however, there was an older woman sitting over on the side. She hadn't been doing much dancing. She got up. She looked at the musicians. She just held up her hand to tell them to stop. She never said a word. Then she pointed to herself, and she went to the head of the line. Then she motioned for the musicians to play, and she started dancing by disco, which was not what the members of the cultural society had been dancing. The old man fell exactly into step with her that's what he had been trying to do and it was wonderful and afterwards i asked her i said what what baiduska is this she says this is our old baiduska this is what we danced before the bulgarians came and made us dance their baiduska which wow. is what the performing group this the uh, cultural society had been doing was this bulgarian version and so i learned it off of my film and I went back and I taught it to the village. Uh, and uh, they now call it their Palyabaiduska. But it would have been lost. It would have been totally lost. And they thought surely the old man hadn't a clue what he was doing, 92 years old. Uh, he fell right into step with her. So th these are the, well, I mean, you, you, you could never create a moment like that. You never right. could create a moment like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, just fortunate that uh, I was there for this, fortunate that I had a camera trained on it, uh, fortunate that we had musicians. It's just one of those things that you can call it luck, you can call it happenstance, whatever you want to call it, but thank God we have it. Hey, that's that's incredible. And it just, I mean, it makes you think how many of those dances have been lost already. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, like the the two that the old man in Flamborough tried to remember, uh, you know, the Dokus Havasi and the Gortengiri. And there's so many others. I mean, um, I don't know. I don't know if either one of you have my second book. But mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there, there uh, are over 350 dance names there. 
And uh, I mean, it, even when you see a name like Baguska, that doesn't mean it's everybody's doing the same step. No, mm -hmm. it's a different dance, village to village. Uh, several years ago, uh, the uh, Society for the Dissemination of National Music, where I used to work for Caras, they knew I was up in Ceres, uh, so they invited me down to do a weekend seminar, teach a dance seminar. And so I asked them, I said, what do you want me to teach? And they said, anything you want. We want to dance this from Ceres, anything you want. I said, really? <laughs> yeah, anything you want. I said, okay. So when I got down there, they said, Yvonne, what are you going to teach? I said, well, I'm going to teach Gaida. I'm going to teach Baguska, and I'm going to teach Aideen or Ranli, whatever name you want to call it. Okay, but what else? I said, That's all I'm teaching. They said, well, but what I did was I taught six or seven different ways of doing Gaida in the set of villages, six or seven different Baguskas from the different villages, the same with Aideen or Ranli from the different villages. They were astounding. They were astounded. And this is what I keep trying to tell people. The same name does not necessarily mean the same dance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you might you might even have a situation where it's the opposite. You might have two dances that are exactly the same, but they don't have the same name. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people the best thing you can have when you go into any of these villages, if you really want to learn, research, etc., open mind. You go in, you don't know anything. I'm telling you, I still learn when I go to these villages today. Incredible. Yvonne, is there a dance or a even a song um, that really just like gets you going? That like if, if you heard it, <laughs> even if you were glued to the chair, you would still get up and dance. Is is there I, I hesitate well, to say a favorite, but is there something that really is like your top top? Well, yeah, one of the ones that will really do it is a, a, a very good local heavy Pogonisios from Ipiales. You know, uh, I still love to dance. That uh, my first love was Ipiales. It wasn't Ceres. My first love was Greek dancing with Ipiales, and it's still there. The other, if I'm going to do from the Ceres region, I love the uh, Yerikos uh, mm -hmm. from Pondismeno, and especially the way the old people used to dance. And I, and the way it's done today is the, but uh, the way that it was done by the older people when I first saw them in the 1990s, you know, that's fantastic. So yeah, those would be two of my favorites. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this week we're interviewing Christopher King, who wrote uh, Lament from Epiros, the book. I don't know that book. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, he is phenomenal. Yes. Really? Yes. Um, I have it over here. I can, it, I'll show it to you later, but um, he is an American gentleman from rural Virginia um, uh -huh. who grew up with a family that had heavy music ties and like Creole music and um, music of the South. Um, and he was a collector of what are they called? Evan 78s? I don't even know. Like old records. Yeah, 78. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm old enough to know. I, and in fact, I've got a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. See, he's, a, he's a collector of those. And yep. he somehow, in his collection, stumbled up, and he goes through this in the book, so I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but he stumbled upon um, music from Epiros, and he oh, was yeah. just captivated. Um, Absolutely. And the book goes through his, his whole story about 
how he learned about this and, and how he found more records in Turkey and how he went to Epiros. It's so interesting, but um, it's it's so wild that Epiros is sort of like the the spark for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, it's really such a deeply moving, soulful music. When, when I first went to Greece, the first time I went in 1975, I had two things I wanted to do. Number one was go to Epiros which I did. Oh, fantastic. I mean, you know, I, I was in seventh heaven. The other one, of course, was at the opposite end of the country. I wanted to go to Crete. So mm-hmm. what I did, I managed to do both while mainly staying in Athens. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there's something about the music from Epiros. If you really get into it, it just tears at your soul. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, even, you know, we've talked a lot about like how to understand idiomatic expressions in especially in Greek music because it's very different as you know than any idiomatic phrase that you would utter when you're talking to someone um and I was thinking the other night that like even if you don't necessarily understand exactly what the 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 word is trying to depict in a song right dance and the steps that you do are almost like a little translation for you, you know, um, like you can't dance in Epidos and not dance super heavy. I mean, of course you can. Right. And we see it like when we teach kids, yeah. we have to teach them that heaviness, but also, you know, how to still honor the, the true step and, and so on and so forth. And it's like dance is a way to translate languages. Um, and, and it is the language. It yeah. is the language. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's so, it's so amazing. And, um, you know, I think people like you who have had experiences that you've had, you're such a resource. Um, and, you know, even talking to you from miles away and, and over zoom where we were you know, fussing <laughs> audio and everything like that, I can feel how much this has impacted your life. And it's just, it's absolutely remarkable. It's oh yeah. I it's mean, so there cool. never. I mean, um, never in my life would I have ever dreamed that I would have done what I've done, that I've been where I've been. I mean, no, that was, no, it wasn't what I foresaw for me at all. You know, yeah. I, the only thing I knew about Greeks, uh, what did I know about Greeks? Yes, there was a girl that I went to school with uh, whose name was Donnie Zorbas. Yes, we all knew she was Greek and they had these uh, red Easter eggs. There was, uh, <laughs> There was a, a boy that went to school with us, and I did not realize until years later that um, he was a, a Greek boy. His name was Panos Stevens. I just thought Panos was a Mexican name because I'm from Arizona. You know, I'm from Arizona. Uh, grew up in Arizona. All my friends were Mexican-Americans, you know. I just thought Panos mm-hmm. was Mexican. Mm-hmm. But uh, years later, I realized, hey, that kid I went to school with was Greek. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I knew virtually nothing about Greeks as a as a young person. As I said, the only thing I knew was that they had red Easter eggs. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's also kind of interesting to note too how you know you were interested in learning about different cultures. And one thing that Evan and I have experienced um, is up where we're from in upstate New York. There's a large um, Bulgarian community in terms of people who are like interested in Bulgarian folk dancing. They may not be Bulgarian themselves, um, but 
I think prior to Evan and I really getting into like dances from Epiros, dances from Macedonia, even Thrace, I would say, um, we started going to the Bulgarian nights at the YWCA and right. it yeah. was like, you know, the, the dances were just a little bit different. Right. Um, and, but the flavor of them, like the, I don't know, the cadence of the step or like even the intonation of the songs was just that little bit different where it started to, I think we both realized like we have a heck of a lot more to learn because we're missing a large chunk of, you know, how this connects to the Greek culture. And, um, right. Well, I, see, I did some of that too when I first started because uh, I live very near the university and uh, they had a, a group that met every Friday night and with Balkan dancing. <laughs> so I was doing all these dances from other Balkan countries too. But what I, I really missed was, um, what I well, I didn't know that that's what I was missing. But what was uh, eating at me somewhat was um, I can do forty-seven different dances, blah blah blah. How many can you do? You know, <laughs> this attitude that that was just turning me off. And yeah. uh, now, now I mean, when you get to the Greeks, that you know, that you're dealing with a different kind of temperament there. But still, they were doing their own thing. And uh, so once I actually discovered how to get to these bazooka and was even accepted to go there, and, uh, you know, uh, in fact, I eventually began teaching in one of them. And the owner asked me to teach dances, so I did. But um, the uh, once I discovered what I called the real people, <laughs> as opposed to those of us prancing all around the uh, auditorium floor at the university, um, you know, then there was almost no going back. I mean, yes, I do still go to these events and things, but you know, unless we get some really soulful music of some sort, and it can be from another country, uh, mm. then I'm usually not, I'm certainly not jumping up to head the line like find in a lot of these communities. But um, anyway, it's, it's, you know, everybody has to find their own path. Yeah, of course, of course. And it's interesting for us doing this podcast that we're seeing how people's paths have intersected um, even before they sort of knew each other. And then, you know, now where their their path has taken them to. And we're starting to uncover this, you know, through the podcast. It's, it's very interesting. We've had a few people who have said like, oh, we started our dance group at our church because this other dance group happened to be performing there back in, you know, the early 80s or, or whatever. And yeah. it's it's just like, Thank goodness for those moments, because like we talked about at the top of the podcast, your trajectory could have been completely different if that wouldn't have happened. You know, um, right. just it's it's a, remarkable to see the steps that people have taken and how they've translated to where that person is today. Um, well, you know, it, it all depends. We never know what things are going to happen in our lives. And what it is, is that uh, I seem to have lost But What it is, is that uh, it depends on how you react to that mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i agree and, and that that's so important that reaction and how you you know people take things and run with them as opposed to sort of letting them kind of just be there or die exactly off. but so yeah and hopefully we're cultivating more people that take that want to take that action authentically to to keep this alive and to keep digging deeper for the truth and making sure that that's what survives um so yes i, I think the important thing for us to remember is that th these people that uh who dances everything that we are are learning etc 
they are not a performing group. That's their mm -hmm. life. That's mm -hmm. their life. And uh, you and I and anyone else, we are going into their lives when we do this. So personally, I feel that I have a real obligation to present any of this in the most um, authentic, correct way that I can, because uh, it, it is not my culture. They're not my dances. So I'm obligated because uh, I have learned from them. I'm obligated to do it in the best possible way that I can and to honor their way of life, whether I like that way of life or not, it, uh, whether I like a particular tradition or dance or whatever or not. That, that really is immaterial mm -hmm. because I put myself in their community, in their culture, and I need to respect it. It's, yeah, and that's why I like creating context. Whenever you're teaching, establishing the context in which you're teaching, why, why the people did this dance and how it, how it played out, you know, especially when a dance is tied to a religious, like, you know, time of the year or, you know, certain celebrations, it's always important as much as possible to give that context as to why this dance would happen in the first place. And, you know, it's more than just saying, okay, this is a 12-step dance and it starts with your right foot. Now, you know, <laughs> yeah. all right, that's great that you know how to do the dance, but why do you do the dance? And what does it mean to be doing this dance is, right. I mean, in, in many cases, I look at it as that is far more important than the steps because you can do the steps, but if you can't, if you can't tell the story, if you can't express the emotion, that people would feel doing this dance and that you should feel doing this dance. If you can't connect with it in that way, then you're not fully doing justice to the dance. Well, and you know, Evan, there, uh, I've seen this many times in, in uh, some villages in some dances. I mean, everybody may be on the right foot and somebody else is on the left foot and nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. I mean, because it, it's not the number of steps you're doing, it's the community feeling. It's yes. the camaraderie that you have. It's the celebration, the things that you are celebrating. Those are the things that matter. And we lose this so often when we teach these dances. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've often said to groups, I can teach you to dance, but I cannot teach you to feel it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between me just flipping out with that Fogonicio and this kid just saying, oh God, this is that six step dance from Hitiros that does, has no flash and crash in it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a huge difference. We may be doing the same steps, but the total feeling, um, it's not there. It's a totally different thing. So, uh, and you can't teach that. No, mm -hmm. you cannot I teach that. Yeah. I think that's also so important. Um, you know, I, well, I think what's so important is that you bring people to Greece. So you'll, you'll take trips, right. And bring people to set as with you or, or to experience apocryas. And, you know, um, that's so important because it's one thing. And again, we, we touched on this earlier, like, sure, I could go and, and, you know, show up in a village and, participate in dance and stuff like that. But if I'm going with someone who is an adopted member of that community, <laughs> right. And you know, like it's Thea Yvonne, it's not just like, here's Maria showing up in, in this village. 
that that experience is just so much, so much different. So much. That's not really grammatically there's, correct there's, phrase, but you know what I mean. <laughs> not everybody in those villages feels that way. There are those that say, "Oh my God, she's here again." <laughs> we can forget about those people. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, it's just what an awesome experience. It's it's like experiencing you know a, a culture with a local, um, and that's that is something that I think everyone should do um, at at some point in time. Yeah. Like you know. Um, travel to Greece with somebody or, or, you know, wherever, um, who is from there or who has connections to people there because it makes the trip, it makes the experience that much different. And if you're really, you know, wanting to learn, I mean, what a great way to learn that's first person learning. So can we just make that a homework assignment for everybody? You have to take an authentic trip, go to the village and immerse yourself as much as you can and become friendly with the people and you know i have suggested that to members of the dance groups that i've worked with you know that because well most everybody goes back to greece in the summer now right okay even yeah. though this year we didn't do that uh but you know usually you go back to the family's village or something and i have tried to get them to you know be interested in going to the older people in the village and trying to find out about things but, you know, it's vacation time and you've got to go to the beach and you've got to go to the discotheque all night long and and, I, and you don't <laughs> yeah. speak Greek very well. So it's difficult. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Goal to work um, towards. Yeah, it is a goal to work towards. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I think, you know, God willing, we will all be back in Greece soon. Um, you know, and- hopefully I've had both shots, as I said. So, it's, you know, once they open up the doors, then hopefully. Right. Let me in. Let me in. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I have so much stuff that needs to get there because I, I don't know if you're aware, but there will be a permanent archive of my work at the public library in Cetis. Oh, my oh, wow. Oh, yeah. What I've been doing the last several times I've been there, everybody thinks I'm running around all these villages, right? I am sitting in front of the computer at the library and I am looking at my film and I am uh, doing the commentary in Greek. Wow. And uh, I've been doing that. Thank God I finished with the last one I had given them when everything closed down last year at this time. Wow. Uh, so they have no more films. But all I've been doing, oh, these past few weeks and in fact I'm I'm amazed I think I'm about through but I'm sure I'm going to find more I've been scanning photographs and doing captions on photographs and uh, that's been going on forever and what I now have to do and um, the husband of one of my dancers just brought me a little machine that he says I can use to uh, get my uh, cassettes my cassette tape interviews into my computer hopefully and that then that could be downloaded onto uh cds that then can also go to the library instead uh there is a duplicate copy of most of my um videos at the uh library at the university of washington um and there will be things, hopefully, if I ever get my act together, that will go to the Center for Asia Minor Studies in Athens also. So, you know, I, well, people are so bored and they're whining and crying about this uh, um, shutdown that we've all had. It has been, you know, a, a time that I, I would not, I don't know when I would have had the time to do all of this. Really. 
Yeah. incredible. It made me sit down and do this work. You know, archives are so critically important, but they're so hard to do because, um, and I'm thinking about this at the hospital that I work at, where we just celebrated our 150th birthday and we have nursing archives from then and we had a nursing school. Um, and it's so hard to think about it now in terms of what would people want 20 years from now, 50 years from now, a hundred years from now, because everything is important, but how do you weave it together to tell the story in a complete way from, from your eyes and, and from your like heart connection? That's really, really difficult to do. It's right. not like an easy thing. <laughs> very true. In fact, uh, I, as I've been doing these photographs, uh, scanning them in and uh, to my computer, every once in a while I come across one, uh, like I did just yesterday, that will not need to go in the archive. But, uh, for instance, I, I had um, a picture of Vasilis Karakostas, Karakostas' younger son, where for... Um, for a book release, he had dressed as a woman, and I had taken a picture of him, and so I uh, scanned it yesterday and sent it to him, and I had an email just from him this morning, laughing at it and thanking me for it. Uh, but, you know, there there's so much to do. Um, a lot of that stuff will never go to the library, but still, it, I want it to be, you know, not just thrown away. Um, yeah. And, and um, the library doesn't want a lot of it, you know, it which is kind of stupid I, I would hope that a library would have better sense than this but uh you know what i think what they want is just one or two examples of a certain thing when those one or two examples are usually not totally representative of the immensity of the um and the richness of the uh tradition and so they, they miss out if they only want one or two things but they can do what they want with it once i've you know, scanned it and sent it to them, then it's going to be their problem. Yeah. What an amazing, um, it's not even a gift. It's like, what an amazing treasure that, you know, uh, they'll, will be in their possession. Um, and something for, for people like us or future researchers or people who just, you know, want to learn a little bit more, you know, 20 years from now. Yeah, I don't know if either one of you ever looked at my Facebook page, but I posted some things on there today that, uh, you know, um, are quite representative of a lot of, uh, not a lot, but some of the things of this time. Yeah. And I did a few uh, days ago. I've been posting a few things little by little. Yeah. Yeah. I did see some of the pictures today and I I feel like it was a picture of um, like the bells that would be worn and I was shocked at how big they are oh oh. be that big i put those on one time one time god i almost fell over and this was many years ago not not the way i am now but many years ago i mean those are heavy 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 yeah yeah oh gosh what an amazing amazing they are dressed in those heavy stinky goat skin oh Oh, and you just love it when one sees you. Evoni, and he gives you a big hug, and you got that yucky smell all over you. So uh, you know, I always tell people, don't wear, dress nicely, but don't wear your best clothes. You know, right? 
<laughs> I love that. Like a mark of, you know, a true apocryphal celebration. Yeah. You come home smelling oh, a little I bit smell like, like a goat. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's when you know you had a good time. <laughs> oh my God. Is that is, what I smell? <laughs> yeah, I have danced whole dances like a Chisitelli or a Carcilla Mons sometimes with some of these guys, and I have no idea who I'm dancing with. <laughs> you know, and there I am just dancing away with them. And we had, I have no idea who was in there. I have no idea. <laughs> but that's half the fun of it. You know, it's that that's one of the great joys of it. Yeah. 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 How special. Uh, well, Yvonne, this was absolutely a treat and such an honor to be able to speak with you. Um, you know, I, we've been Facebook friends. I think I added you shortly after you were in the DC area years ago because I, I couldn't go to your workshop. Right. Uh, I was really bummed. Um, but the way we get guests on this show is basically I joke that it's like cold calling Greek style. Like I just send people a message. So thank you for being receptive um, to the Facebook message. And I'm so glad that we were able to have you on today. Um, well, I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, I, I thank you for what you're doing. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. This is, it has been an absolute treat. Um, so what we say at the end of every podcast is we'll be back with more Sirtos. And if you liked this episode, which of course you did, because it's like on, hunt, on today, um, please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating. Um, and we will be back next week. 